Let me begin. Let's start with a prayer, and then uh, I'll kind of introduce the topic and tell you what we're going to do here for the next hour. Okay? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the privilege of being together this evening. God, we have a special topic on our hearts tonight, and that is the work of the church and the work of the gospel outside of uh, an area in the United States, which is in many ways uh, not, not covered, not um, completely inundated with the gospel, but not in the same uh, need that there is outside of that, that Bible Belt. And there are places, Father, represented in the room tonight where there's so many people who live in places where the good news of Jesus just doesn't have the same presence that it has in other parts. And God, we pray that the churches that are represented tonight and those who uh, lead in those churches, that they'll be blessed in some way by the things that Scott and myself and Amy share. And we pray, God, that you'd uh, use what we have to offer to further the work in these places where the gospel is needed so badly. We pray these things for Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, tonight, we are going to have uh, three of us share. Amy Boss Henniger is not here in person, however. So if you were thinking to yourself, oh, I really want to go see Amy Boss Henniger, you will see her, but you're going to see her on the screen behind me in just a few minutes. Up until about three weeks ago or so, four weeks ago, she was planning on being here in person. And then she sent me an email and she said, I'm going to have to leave on Friday afternoon. So she left, uh, I think it's April 11th or something, is where she did her recording and sent that to me. And so we'll play that here in a few minutes. But she's back in New York, hopefully by now tonight. And I'm sure safe and sound. Amy is on this agenda tonight because she grew up here in Los Angeles. Uh, she was part of the Colville Palms Church of Christ here in L.A. Her dad, Tom Bost, was the chairman of the Board of Regents here for Pepperdine for years and years. And maybe still is, as far as I know. Um, so Amy grew up in L.A. She, the, way that, the way that I knew her was that in the early 80s, mid-80s, I was a youth minister at a church here in Long Beach, California. And uh, knew her because she was coming to youth rallies and coming to different youth events and things. I got to know her that way. And then over the years, we would see each other at Pepperdine, and the, that relationship just continued. And, of course, she eventually married Matt Henniger. Matt was in my youth group in Long Beach and then went to Pepperdine himself and then ended up marrying uh, Amy. And so the two of them now have made their home in New York for many, many years. She has been doing ministry with the Manhattan Church of Christ for about 20 years or so. Loves ministry, uh, loves what she's doing, loves being in Manhattan, and has just been a wonderful blessing to the Churches of Christ. Her work and her attention to ministry as a female, especially working in our churches, has been absolutely wonderful. So she has some things to say about all of that uh, and working outside the Bible Belt for basically her whole life and certainly all of her ministry career. And then Scott Lambert is with us as well. Scott is currently heading up the Friends Speak Let's Start Talking program. Uh, you probably are aware of that. The way that I knew Scott was that when he was a student here at Pepperdine, he used to come to Long Beach and go to church occasionally on a Sunday morning with Mary Speaks. Mary brought you down probably in 82 or 83. Yeah, yeah. Scott came down and started uh, being our, attending our church some. Not all the time, but you came down quite a bit. I, you know, I remember you yeah. being there quite often. And then after graduation from Pepperdine, eventually joined the, the ministry staff here at the at the college and at the university and at the Malibu Church and did campus ministry here for how, how many years did you do that? 21 years. 21 years campus ministry here at Pepperdine. Eventually planted a church. Uh, was it in Manhattan Beach? Where was that? Well, we started the Kairos network and helped start. Okay. We worked with planters to plant churches. Right. But then, it, but you, you did work with a church plant here in L.A. Well, the Hilltop Church Christ in El Segundo, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but now is in a different aspect of ministry, 
is actually in the Bible Belt, but he's been there only for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So how many years did you spend outside the Bible Belt? Well, you know, I don't really want to give those numbers away, but yeah. all but one and a half years of my life have been outside the Bible Belt. He's an Iowa boy, yeah. if I remember that correctly. Went to York before he came to Pepperdine. Mm -hmm. Am I all that right? Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And for years, Scott and I used to go, we used to have this group called Meg, where we would get together every year before the Pepperdine Lectures, and for about two or three days we would spend, sometimes we'd be, we'd be at a mansion in, in uh, uh, Pasadena, sometimes we would be at a nunnery, uh, Sarah Retreat here, very close, and a bunch of us would spend time together for three or four days before Pepperdine and just hang out and, and uh, pray and share and go have dinner together and play practical jokes on each other, and it was a lot of fun for a long time. So a lot of good years, a lot of good ministry, um, my name is Kelly. I've been doing uh, ministry outside the Bible Belt also all my life. Um, I started here in ministry in 82 with the Long Beach Church of Christ. Some of you might remember Randy Mayu was in this area for a while. I worked with Randy and Ralph Beck at, the, at was what was then the 37th and Alive Church of Christ. In 1986, I moved to Victoria, British Columbia, and I was there for 15 years. I worked with a wonderful church, loved the ministry. It was just uh, fantastic. I was a Northwest boy. I grew up in Oregon myself, so I have an Oregon connection. I grew up in Albany and was converted at Camp Yamhill, if that means anything to yeah. you. Mm -hmm. um, and so after being uh, in Victoria for 15 years, we spent just a few years in Dallas going to school some more, but really all of that was in preparation to go back to Canada, and we did in 2006, and I've been with the Calgary Church of Christ in Calgary for the last 12 years. So lots and lots of time outside the Bible Belt for Scott and Amy and Kelly. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the things that, um, I, uh, let's, say, let's say 30 plus years for him and about 36 for me and about 20 for Amy. So we're talking about close to 100 years of some ministry experience outside the Bible Belt for the three of us. And we're going to share some things from that tonight. And Scott is going to start us off. Okay. Thank you, Kelly. And if anyone thought they'd won the award for the furthest out of the Bible Belt, Craig Young just walked in from France. So, absolutely. Um, Kelly, I've, I'm delighted to do this class with you and with Amy. Uh, when we first started talking about it a while back, I, um, I started collecting ideas. I just moved to Texas. And so, so here, here, here you go. I've got two ideas, but I'm going to get to it kind of first and foremost your story. So I'm an Iowa farm boy. And raised and totally raised in the churches of Christ. I went to church at least three times a week and I don't know, I, I, I think I was born at church. You know, right? You know the family. My two great grandmothers started the church that I was well born in. That I was raised in, right? Grandma Aggie and Grandma Maggie. Mm -hmm. Charter members of the Red Line Church of Christ in Redline, Iowa. The church started in 1875. And the town died in 1926, and it was never more than 10 people out in the country. The church is still going to this day. How's that for heritage, right? We were in Iowa, not exactly in the Bible Belt, correct? So, you know, we people would go on vacation or go down south and visit friends and come back to my church and say, you wouldn't believe they have chandeliers in church down in the south. And they have a thousand people in church in the south, you know. And, and uh, it was always kind of like this mystical land of Oz <laughs> in Iowa, the south. <coughs> Particularly for a Church of Christ. 
So that idea of the Bible Belt was deeply ingrained in me in the north, okay, Iowa. We'd have campaign teams come from Searcy. Uh, Lloyd Deal and Jerry Lutzenheiser would bring teams and we'd, they'd start churches. It was, it was like, again, the land of Oz from the south. Uh, I, I went to York College, and that was fantastic, but we were the, the mission college for the North Central States. Okay, that was the language I always heard, the mission college for the North Central States, and I loved it. Well, all my, almost all my peers, because York was a two-year school and you had to graduate. Well, wait, that didn't sound right. Yes, of course you had to graduate, yeah. It was a two-year school and you had to go on to graduate. So most of my friends went to Harding or Abilene or Oklahoma Christian or Lubbock or, you know, Freed Hardman or Lipscomb. And uh, I went to Pepperdine University. How's that? Now, in 1982, that was near the edge of hell. <laughs> if you were from anywhere from California, right? Okay. Anywhere but California. Um, and, you know, I love my mom. She said, now, if it doesn't work out, you can come back, like, where it's safe, right? <laughs> Malibu, California. And for me, I kind of didn't, I wasn't, I, I don't know, I would have gone to Abilene or anywhere else, but there was a sense of mission about California that had kind of been injected into my soul. Man, I came to California, and our first church event was the University Church of Christ Campus Ministry Fun Under the Sun Beach Day. <laughs> and I think the theory is true that the issue of uh, um, swimming together or, you know, I said to a kid, I said, I said to a kid at the party, there, you know, there are 200 people there, right? College students, I was like, where have I gone? I have, this is either heaven or hell. I couldn't tell which one. I leaned over to somebody and said, what do they think about mixed bathing here in California? He said, like, Taking baths before you're married, or what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, okay, I'm in another place. You know, and of course, the theory that that that's a question: the further away from you are from a major body of water, is very true, right? In Iowa, somehow we were talking about mixed bathing in California. Dude, church is out at the beach, having a great time, you know. And I I love Pepperdine so much. I stayed all together 23 years as a student and beyond. So, and then, and then 10 years in Los Angeles in, in ministry. So, I mean, I'm a, a non-Bible Belt guy. Come on in, everybody. Just come on in. Come on in. That's great. I am a non-Bible Belt guy. And two years ago at this lecture, my wife and I accepted the call to go to Texas to work with the Let's Start Talking and Friends Speak Ministries, which is worldwide, countrywide, evangelistic, you know, and it's in Texas about that. Any Texans just walk in? Okay, I've learned what I have to say. You can't get I know what I have to say. Okay, ready? No, I'm not from Texas, but I got here as fast as I could. There you go. There it is. I was 57. That's how fast I went hard to get to Texas. So, there you go. There's a little story. And, you know, for me, the Bible Belt was always a bit of a mythical place. And, and of course, in my work, I got a chance to go to all those places uh, for years and years and years and lead kids, you know, and stuff. Um, through, through campus ministry and church planting and church leadership. So I, I kind of wanted to just give two thoughts tonight on this. And I'm so encouraged that so many people here from kind of the far-flung places for the Church of Christ, okay? A little bit Alaska, right? 
you know, all those good places. So here we go. Um, three months ago, I had the blessing and opportunity to be with Ten campus ministers from the Churches of Christ, our fellowship. And ten campus ministers, all men, different men and women, from the Independent Christian Church. Our kissing cousins, right? You know. uh, they play guitar better than we do, right? You know, whatever. They're, they're kissing cousins. We got to meet in David Lipscomb's house on the campus of David Lipscomb. And talk about where it all kind of kind of went like this, right? And you know where their Bible Belt is? Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio. Because that's where the northern churches from our restoration fund. And, and so they talk mythically about Kentucky and Ohio and Indiana as their Bible Belt. We talk in that group in that same house, we talk a little mythically about Tennessee and Nashville and Arkansas and Texas. Isn't that interesting? So I think God does actually put together centers of people where energy emanates, okay? Well, let me just tell you, a lot of people in churches that I've known over the years would not be Christians if they had not had impetus and leadership from the South and the Bible. And so I stand in a great line of people that have, well, tremendous gratitude for the people who had a tremendous missional experience before we said things like missional, okay? So Amy's got three things that are very portable about our fellowship here in a few minutes. <laughs> well, there it is. I have found on this web tremendous gratitude for the people who have two minutes. I don't know why Siri didn't get all my words just now. I'll look at my notes. All right, let me, that'll be really confusing on the tape. So let me just say this. I have tremendous gratitude for the people that had that missional impulse to come to Iowa. And to go to Nebraska and start your college. And George Pepperdine, who grew up in kind of the upper Midwest near the Bible Belt. And someone told him if you want to make a great impact with all of your wealth, the Bill Gates of his day, right? Do something like a university that believes in Jesus. Well, that came from the president, I think, of Harding or Lipscomb. All that. I have a great gratitude. Here we go. Two thoughts for you. Uh, Amy will bring three real portable thoughts. Kelly's going to bring some pretty deep theological things that I think will kind of rub off the edges of us for a little bit. And I, I wanted to bring two thoughts in several months of thinking about this. So number one, we emanate, our fellowship emanates from the South, which came out of a very patternistic approach to life. The South, you know, when I visit now that I live there, and I live in DFW, so that's, you know, I mean, it's kind of like L.A., so I'm going to mention that in a minute or two. In the South, there, there was a more patternistic approach to life, okay? And we came out of that. So I call it this, if, if you write something down, point number one, here we go. A, a patternistic rightness pervaded our ancestors, all of us. Let's say that again, a patternistic rightness, okay? But we were searching in the patterns of the New Testament to do things right. 
patternistic readiness. Now that was pretty pervasive out of our fellowship. When we sat in David Lipsu's house uh, three months ago with those two groups, they have that same impulse too. Because the drive to the drive to be a unity movement on scripture turned into whose scripture, yours or mine? Right? And it kind of became a patternistic approach to doing things. And at certain parts of our country's history, that patternistic approach played really well. You could take it and franchise it and move it to all kinds of places. And that was where so much of the missional impulse of the Churches of Christ came from. Uh, I, I grew up, and this was a point of uh, pride for my parents. You could go on vacation. You could go any town while you're traveling through and stop in the Church of Christ. And you could say, I know this is my place because we do things exactly the same, right? Three songs, welcome. Well, that, I don't know, that might be a little crazy, I don't know. You know, the big controversy was communion before or after the sermon, right? You know, that patternistic rightness. It sounds like I'm kind of perturbed or something. I'm not necessarily. But in an era where... The world, our culture searched for absolutes more than we do now, biblical absolutes. You know, didn't, I grew up trying to get my Methodist friends to know the Bible better and come to become Christians at my church, right? I grew up in Iowa where there are more Lutherans than people. Garrison <laughs> <laughs> Keeler said that line one time. There it is. Yeah, yeah. Right? You're Minnesota. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stole it for Iowa. Um, it. I didn't know there were other religions out there because they weren't in the true patternistic place, right? So to the great benefit of our fellowship and our movement, we were pretty franchised. And that's good. I think it was in the 80s that we had more churches of, uh, than any other denominational group or any group, I didn't mean any group, I didn't mean to, uh, whatever. We had more churches in more counties in America than any other group other than the Catholics because we were highly missional. And in that era, you could, you could franchise it. You know the good of that, right? I come from that. But you also see then what begins to happen when franchising doesn't work in a cultural context. So there you go. Yeah, that's kind of number one. Number two. I have really enjoyed being in the South. And I like DFW. It's really interesting. And again, there's a lot of energy that emanates for our fellowship from that area. Hello to Kelly and Scott and whoever else is there. And this and there we are. Absolutely. I, I think there's... Um, I have voices everywhere, don't I? It's not patternistic. It's not patternistic, absolutely. Here we go. Even in the South, and Wendy, you're, are you in Searcy? Is that right? I'm in Searcy and I grew up in the FWs. So. Did you? Okay, here we go. Even in the South, I'm noticing there's great energy emanating from the churches of Christ. A lot of patternistic churches still, but. There's a great and honest conversation in DFW among all kinds of churches of Christ about the future. And so I think what they're feeling is what I have felt in Los Angeles for a long time. Beginning to come to the South, 
and it's beginning to break down the patternistic thing. So if you're looking for the second thing here, I, I kind of put it like this. Well, all of us, I think, know what I'm about to say, and I think it will ring true. In the South, there is still cultural value attributed to being a Christian. Right? There's still cultural value. The baggage handler at Love Field, as I was on my way, because Kelly, I've, been, I've really been paying attention after we talked about this class. The baggage handler looked at me. I didn't do anything. I didn't have a Jesus shirt. I didn't, I didn't cross. I didn't do anything. He just looked at me and said, hello, brother. How's your day doing? God bless you. And what? I was like, I'm from L.A. What? You know, God's great, man. How about you? You know? I have gotten a kick out of being a minister in Texas. They give you free things. It's kind of weird. Oh, brother, Pastor Lambert, we are so glad to have you here. Uh, in L.A., my friend, I mean, I'm going to swear. Get ready. I'm getting ready to swear. Okay? It's Friday night. We're late. We're going crazy here. In L.A., my, my friend was sitting by someone on a, I think it was on a, I don't know where it was. She said, the lady said, hey, what do you do for a living? He says, oh, I'm a pastor. He goes, sure, you're a bastard. <laughs> no, I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, you are a pastor. Oh. We got to move seats. Wow. So those of us who are not in the Bible Belt, let me just say it then the other way. It is almost now a liability to be a Christian and a dedicated Christian. Because in the South, I don't want to get too public. They're the, the Roy Moores of the world. You remember the Alabama Senator Dealey? And they put all that stuff on us Christians everywhere. In the South, they still vote Republican and Christian. Okay? And that gets kind of put on people in other places in California. You know, all the, the, the same-sex conversations, that, that get put on us in other places too. And so I just want to say, that sounds kind of negative, but we've always been better, and this is a Rick Astley thing, he said it the other day, We've always been better as Christianity as the visiting, as the visiting team. We've always been better. So what are the encouragements out of those two things? And then let's get to Amy and Kelly. Here we go. The two things, okay. Number one, in the South, patternistic rightness is breaking down. And wherever you are, it ought to really break down. And I get the feeling that a lot of times in our churches of Christ outside of the Bible Belt, there's not enough variety necessarily to feel like in, in L.A., if you want to go to another church of Christ, you can go down three blocks down the street. You've got to go 20 miles. And, but, but we should have the freedom without some of the baggage that South brings. Okay? There you go. Patternistic rightness is kind of, I think it's broken down and opened the doors for us to have to do what we need to do in our cultures and contexts. There you go. That, there you go. That's what I think. I think you have the freedom to do that in Alaska. Because no one gives a flying rip about the South, right? You know? Uh, who cares? There's kind of number one. And number two, we do better as the visiting team. And that's kind of the encouragement I want to give to all of us that, uh, all of us, I'm from Texas, I guess. <laughs> All of us who have lived and worked outside of the Bible. There you go. I think it's a great spirit. And here's what I hear from the leaders and the churches and the folks that I'm meeting all over the South. 
they know, they know that that's all changing and that we are all more homogenous and they too are in the same conversations about what we're all in. And so maybe even we could teach them some things about how to, how to be able to reach people. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it very much. We are going to have a chance now to hear from Amy Boss-Hedegger. As I said, Amy's been in New York for about uh, 20 years or so doing ministry at the Manhattan Church of Christ. And uh, if you know, if you were covered on the last couple of years, you've heard of Amy speak. And you're going to get to hear her, right? I've kept my Bible lectures. I um, wish I could be there. I, well, right now it's, it's April, Wednesday, April 11th. Um, but I'm planning to be at the Covenant Bible lectures. I, uh, but I'm planning to fly home on Friday afternoon. So I hope by the time you watch this video, I am safely back in my home in this, uh, the suburbs of New York City. My name's Amy Boss-Tenegger, and uh, I was so grateful to be invited to be a part of this group, and it's just that I could be there in person. Um, but Kelly just asked me to take a couple minutes via video and think a little bit about what the Churches of Christ bring to the non-Bible Belt world. Um, this is the world I know. I grew up in West Los Angeles. Uh, moved to New York City in 1999. So I've, I've been in ministry at Manhattan Church of Christ since 2001, uh, going on 17 years. So the non-Bible Belt Church of Christ <coughs> is what I know. Grandparents were in the Bible Belt, and my roots in the Church of Christ go back to the Bible Belt, but I've never, never lived in the Bible Belt and never ministered in the Bible Belt. So, um, if I can say a little bit about the um, the heritage that we have in the Church of Christ and how it speaks to people outside of the Bible Belt. Now, outside of the Bible Belt is very large space. <laughs> the Bible Belt, compared to the rest of the world, is quite small. Um, but I can talk about uh, New York City. I can talk about what I think people in New York City have found uh, at the Manhattan Church of Christ and through uh, this, this Church of Christ heritage that, that, we've, um, that we've brought to the city. There's a few things that I think of specifically, things that are specific to our heritage that I think really speak people today, um, to people in, in, uh, in my world, in, in, in my, my environment. The first, you know, we're very unusual as an organization. Most Protestant denominations are structured, <laughs> and we're not. You know, we have a very flat organizational structure. Every congregation is independent. It's very important to us as people, as, as, a, um, as a faith tradition. It was very important to our founders back in the early 1800s that we not have a big denominational structure, and we've maintained that. It's something that's very unique to the Churches of Christ, and I think that it, um, I think it's appealing to people. I think people tire of bureaucracy. I think that they, um, they don't necessarily trust the people that are in charge when there's a lot of hierarchy. 
So we have an interesting uh, setup because there are a lot of churches of Christ across the country, around the world, and we associate with each other through free will association. We don't um, we don't have to speak to each other, but we choose to. But no congregation can tell any other congregation what to do. Um, and, and there's something that's really wonderful about that, that a group of people can come together and decide in their circle, in their community, what God is calling them to. Uh, so the Manhattan Church of Christ, for example, can come together and look at New York City and say, where have we been placed in the world? And what is God calling us to? And the leaders, um, and, and members of our congregation can come together and deliberate, pray, spend time discerning what uh, what God's calling, what God's calling us to. So that's I think that's a very strong positive in our tradition, and I do think it's something that people in today's world are attracted to. It's a, it's a positive. A positive from our heritage that, that we should hold on to and really think about you know, what what kind of freedoms does that allow us to listen to our community, to listen to God, and try to meet the needs of those ones. The second is we have a wonderful culture of exploration in our churches. Um, the churches of Christ have always emphasized the idea that you, 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 who I'm looking at right there in front of you, one person can open the Bible and read it. Um, you know, that was part of the Protestant Reformation. It's very strong in the American Restoration Movement. It's been very strong throughout the time that we've existed as, as a distinct religious tradition that any person can open the Bible. Um, you might want to try to read it in the original language. We definitely think there's value in being able to read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. But even in English, even in English, you can open the Bible, find a good translation, and read, and learn about God. You don't need a priest. You don't need anyone with a ton of expertise to explain to you. Boy, that's a, that's a beautiful tradition that you don't have to be highly educated. Any person can hear the word of God and learn and come to know truth, come to know God. It's a very powerful heritage, and it certainly is one that speaks to our culture today. Um, people who don't know the Bible, or let me just say people who aren't in the Bible Belt, um, This, this is something that's new and interesting to them. I'm, I'm in New York City where a lot of the people that I'm friends with are Catholic, and they just didn't grow up reading the Bible. The Catholic faith has, boy, a lot of a lot of positives and has brought a lot of good to the world in a lot of ways, but most, most Catholics don't grow up reading the Bible. And the idea that you can open the Bible and just read it for yourself is, um, is very appealing. Now, I want to say as soon as I said that there are plenty of Catholics that read the Bible that are very strong Bible students who don't get me wrong. <laughs> but there's not a, the culture is different. I do think we have a strong culture of every single person being completely fun. 
Finally, um, tying into that, is we, from the very beginning, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And this is a very, very powerful doctrine. And um, it's something that we should really embrace and continue. And again, I think it speaks to our world today in a very powerful way. This idea that there is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. There's no religious hierarchy. And that is sort of unheard of in our world today. Everything, every structure has a hierarchy. Everything is about hierarchy. It's just, it's in the water of who we are as human beings. But the idea that in the kingdom of God, there is no hierarchy. And I am no more of a priest than you are, and you are no more of a priest than I am. We all have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Um, so really, that's a really powerful tradition. And the way it manifests itself, uh, the tradition, I say tradition, it's more than a tradition. Um, it's, it's a very powerful belief. And the way it manifests itself is really remarkable. Um, our worship services, we have a very strong tradition, a very strong heritage of our worship services being very open. One person does the announcements, another person leads the songs, someone else reads the scripture, someone else leads the prayers. And you don't have to have any sort of credentials to do any of these things, except um, to be a baptized believer. That's what the Church of Christ have practiced. And um, that's a really, really powerful tradition in a world that's really wrestling with um, equality, really wrestling with, is there a space? Is there a space anywhere in our world where people can truly be equal? Is there a space? And what we're saying is yes. In our worship services, when we come together to worship the living God, we stand on flat ground. No one is higher than anyone We all approach God equally. Boy, is that a powerful tradition. Powerful belief. Powerful conviction that, um, that speaks. It speaks volumes to a world that's desperately in of, of getting rid of that hierarchy, getting rid of that authority structure, getting rid of, of human beings um, uh, being over others and um, silencing others. Some being, some, some being held up high and some being pushed down low. Now I have to follow that immediately with saying we need to truly live into that. We believe it. Um, but we haven't practiced it because we um, we haven't allowed women to participate in our worship services. So we believe we believe in the priesthood of all believers, but somehow we think that there are certain voices that should not be heard. And I feel very I believe very deeply that that's unbiblical. That um, the passages that would lead us to believe that we need to be silent are being misinterpreted. And, um, oh, it's really important that we go back and look at those passages, that we go back and look at them again, 
and ask, does God really want women to be silent? Um, because if we're wrong, if God does not want women to be silent, we better not silence 50% of the church. We better not silence 50% of the kingdom. <laughs> um, so the stakes are pretty high. It's really important to look and think and embrace that, which we have at the Manhattan Church of Christ. At the Manhattan Church of Christ, men and women, um, black, white, every every color of skin, everyone participates in our worship services, and it's truly a taste of the kingdom. <laughs> really, really good. So it's a powerful tradition. But just like anything, uh, we take what our parents have given us, what our forefathers, what our foremothers have given us. And for us, it's the ones that have gone before us in this beautiful heritage. And we take what they've given us and we build it. Because we can see with eyes that they didn't have. And we can ask questions that they never asked. And we can help this group to grow further into the people that God's called. So uh, with that, I'll sign off wishing God's, uh, praying God's blessing on all of you in the discussion tonight. Well, you can tell that uh, that Amy is opinionated. She has an opinion. And uh, I don't know if you agree with Amy's opinions about things or not, but I'm grateful that she has the capacity in our fellowship to share the things that she did. She is a, a person who loves the Lord very much and is trying very much in uh, her capacity to do all the things that God wants her to do. And I'm just grateful that Amy Boston does that. And she speaks with some clarity and some frankness. And again, I don't know if you agree with all that. You may not. Or you may, but I'm grateful that she has the freedom to share those things. I'll be your clicker. Yeah, you want to do that? That would probably work. Okay. Yeah, and you can just press uh, page down right there. What do you want to do in terms of moving forward? So let me uh, quickly here in the last few minutes share some things that have been on my mind in terms of where we're at. And Scott said this gets a little bit more theological, a little bit more in the clouds perhaps. Uh, maybe a little bit, but we'll see how this goes. First of all, let me say that uh, we have in Churches of Christ a certain kind of ethos. Somebody tell me what ethos means. You tell us. Somebody's going to have to tell me, though. I, somebody's somebody's going to know the definition of the word ethos. What does that mean? Character or pattern of life. Sure. Something about our character or pattern of life. It says who we are. What are we? And we do have a certain kind of ethos. And... There's an ethos, I think, for churches of Christ that are in the Bible Belt, and I think there's a little bit of an ethos outside of the Bible Belt, but oftentimes not much of one. Like if you're in Calgary, Alberta, and you say to somebody, I'm from the Church of Christ, you are as likely to have them think that you're a Mormon as you are to think anything else. They just don't know who we are at all. And that has advantages and disadvantages. Disadvantages because they don't know exactly what to do with us, they can't they don't know where to put us exactly on their scheme, but it has great advantages sometimes because they can't just pigeonhole us. If you're in the South and you say I'm from the Church of Christ and some, the person you're talking to happens to be a Baptist, right. then they have a certain opinion about who you are. I say that to somebody in Calgary, Alberta, and they have no box to put me in, which allows me to actually just be, kind of be a free 
Christian with them and to be whatever we want to be as a church in Calgary, Alberta. And that's a privilege and a blessing. So our ethos sometimes uh, can get us in trouble, but outside the Bible Belt, a lot of times, it, it's just wonderful to not even have, in some sense, that ethos that they're going to pigeonhole us with. It allows us to construct our own ethos, and I think that's a benefit. So that can be good, actually, to not have that solid kind of firm uh, ethos. With respect to some theological, doctrinal, ecclesiastical kinds of things, which is just you know, doctrinally, where have we been, and especially where have we been over time? Over time, there has been, I think you have to admit, some gradual movement in who we've been, a kind of centering in terms of the things that we believe and practice. In fact, we have pulled back, I think, from the fringes of Christendom and maybe come to the center a little bit more in terms of what it means to be a faith tradition a lot more like others than we sometimes thought we were. And so we used to always see ourselves as being way different than everybody else to the point where we would say, we're like the only ones who are on the way to heaven or something like that. And we, in the last 20 or 30 years, have come away from that kind of perception. So it could be that people in the South, for example, still hold this notion of an ethos where we think that's who we are, but we're not necessarily that anymore. And so when we start talking about who we are outside the Bible Belt, we can, with, with some legitimacy, say, this is who we are, and not feel like people are going to pigeonhole us in that way, and in fact, we have moved. We're not the same, we think we're the only ones going to have a tradition that we used to think we were. So there's been huge, huge progress in that way as well. We used to uh, emphasize biblical primitivism all the time. We would say that the way that we were going to uh, unify the world in terms of Christianity, keep all the Christians together, was for us to go back and believe exactly all the same things. And I'm not sure that we believe that anymore. So there's been some huge progress in that way. We used to think that um, the goal of doctrinal correctness and having everybody think exactly the same was our priority. I'm not sure that that's our priority more, anymore. In fact, I would say that we have now have priorities like the centrality of Jesus, putting Christ right at the center of the biblical priorities, the biblical center, and it, it's allowed us to be, I would say, far more theologically centered, and in that sense, far more biblical um, by being so central and focused on who Jesus is. So I would say we've, we've got a better perspective on who Jesus is. We've seen all week long that we have a better perspective on who the Holy Spirit is. Um, I think we're becoming more overtly Trinitarian in terms of who we are. We've begun to think more about the kingdom. And so there's been all of this movement in the last 20, 30 years toward a, a theological centeredness, which I think in the long run is going to pay off real dividends for the church outside the Bible Belt. And I simply wanted to say, let's keep down that track. Let's keep moving in that direction. Amy called us that when she said a moment ago, let's have women do more things in our assemblies. You may not be there. That's a possibility. Uh, but whether you are or not, in terms of putting Jesus right at the center or the Trinity right at the center or the Holy Spirit even right at the center, as opposed to having the churches of Christ be right at the center, and our doctrine right at the center, I think is a strong theological move. We've got our priorities right in the last 20 or 30 years, in my opinion, in a way that in the long run is going to pay the church uh, big dividends, and we need to continue down that path. Okay, now some attitudinal kind of things, and I'm going to give you seven here that I think are relatively crucial in terms of uh, things that we need to think about. The first one is that we need to seek God and be God-dependent and especially in prayer. We can't do this on our own, but we greatly need to emphasize prayer and to pray. 
and prayer needs a lot more attention than what it sometimes has gotten in the past among us. In the fall of 2017, in our congregation, we did a whole unit on prayer. For about three months, four months, we spent uh, time, every sermon uh, for about four months was focused around the theme of prayer. In November and December, we decided that we would spend 15 minutes a day, asking our people anyway in our church, to spend 15 minutes a day in prayer. So we did that throughout November and December of 2017. In November, we had one special uh, Sunday afternoon where we called church together to just spend time in prayer. In December, we called everybody together to just spend an afternoon in prayer, and then we did the same thing in January of 2018. And what's fascinating to me is that during the last five months, four months of our church's existence, we have had more baptisms, more ministry to people in our community who don't know Jesus, a better spirit in our congregation, than we have ever had in the previous 12 years that I've been here. And I would say it's directly attributable to the prayers that we've been praying and the time that we've spent in prayer, especially in the fall. And so I want to say to you, make sure that if, if you do nothing else, and this is number one in the kind of attitudinal things uh, in terms of priority, it's number one, we need to spend more time in prayer. And we, pro we could stop right there probably and have our churches outside the Bible Belt just spend all their time now praying and, and dropping a lot of things that we normally focus on and just spend time in prayer. And my sense is that God would bless us and take us places that we've never been before. We need to pray. And it's not just an idle comment. Sometimes we say that, well, we need to spend time in prayer. And then we just go on to something else and make plans. And I would say we need to pray. Um, every elders meeting in Calgary, every elders meeting, we spend the first 45 minutes in prayer. We have five elders and myself. We have two other staff members. Sometimes it's eight in the meeting. Sometimes it's six. But for the first 45 minutes of every elders meeting that we have, we pray. And I think that God is blessing us richly because of that time spent in prayer. Second thing is, I would say that we need to pursue and pursue with intensity discipleship. And this has got to be as much an attitude as it is an action. Right now we have 16 leaders in our church family. We've got five elders and their wives, three staff members and their wives, and all 16 of us have been spending the last three months or so simply discipling one-on-one -on -one other people in our church. In some cases, it's leaders in our church, people who've been in our, uh, in our church for 30 years, or Christians who've been Christians for a long, long time. But we decided that we were just going to spend time one-on-one -on -one discipleship with those individuals in our church, both leaders and also uh, new Christians. And so I've got three people that I've been discipling over the last couple of months. One of them is uh, in his 50s and has been a Christian all his life. Um, one of them has been a Christian for two years or so and is a young man. Uh, one of them is a, a guy who's about uh, 32 and also has been a Christian for quite some time. Uh, and then we have a fellow that we just baptized this last Sunday, and I'm going to start discipling him very soon as well. He and his uh, son, he and his 12-year-old son, 13-year-old son, were baptized together uh, last Sunday. And so we've got, and then all of our elders and all of our staff are all doing that with somebody. And so I've got about three or four people that I'm specifically meeting with on a regular basis and talking to them about various things having to do with faith. And we've got, we've got, 16 different people who are doing that. Probably 30 people or so in our church of 250 right now are going through some one-on-one -on -one discipleship. I really encourage you to do that kind of thing. I would say that if a church was to pray and do discipling like this, 
that we all put ourselves miles ahead in terms of the kind of things that need to happen in our churches right now. Thirdly, we must call our people to a form of discipleship that goes beyond civil religion, even as it is, uh, is politically conversational. One of the things that we encountered and noticed right now is that you folks in the United States keep fighting with each other. Republicans and Democrats do not seem to get along. There's not much healthy dialogue or conversation that goes, uh, that's going on right now in the United States at all kinds of levels. And the church, it seems to me anyway, has to try and come out of this notion of civil religion and supporting the perspective. And, and again, we end up outside the Bible Belt have a chance to do this the way maybe in the South they can't even get away from. We can find ourselves in the context where we can discuss things much more civilly with a whole lot more dialogue and not have the constant tension between groups uh, that seems to be present in the South. And so if we can move beyond that, I think the church has a chance uh, to do some significant things, but it really does have to move uh, beyond this notion of civil religion and conflict uh, existing there. Number four, at the same time, we must not be afraid not only to stand apart from civil religion, but to stand wholly within civic structures within secular culture, even as we embrace it in love. The word holy means what, folks? What does that mean? Set apart. To be set apart. And it is the case that we need to be set apart within our secular societies. We also need to be set apart from both a fundamentalist civil religion and a simple <coughs> adoption of the secular culture. And so even as we stand among and are in that culture and love that culture, we're also going to stand in one sense apart from it and holy. God needs us to be holy people within our cultures wherever we find ourselves. And I think that's, uh, it's absolutely crucial that we be set apart in that way. I love Peter's language. Peter keeps calling us aliens and strangers here. And we need to live that way uh, in our culture even as we embrace it and love it. Number five, we must seek truth even as we believe that, uh, that in the economy of our Trinitarian God, specifically revealed in Jesus and made present in the Spirit, that we have found real truth. And, you know, we live in a culture today that says so often, and this may not be true in the Bible Belt, but it certainly is true outside of it in all kinds of places, that truth doesn't exist anymore. And I think truth does exist. I believe that we found truth in God's revelation of himself in the person of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And, and we need to live and act like that. We need to stand there. We can go all kinds of different directions with that one tonight. But I, what I really mean that is that this, uh, this context of faith, our biblical faith, should be recognized by us as defensible in our cultures. We need to stand to, uh, in the face of the world and in, in a culture that is not biblically oriented and so often outside the Bible Belt is not, and say to them, there is a place for truth, and God's revelation of himself in Jesus is actually intellectually defensible. There's a place for this. And sometimes we just compromise so often on whether or not Jesus really is the truth from God, and I absolutely believe that he is, and we need to hold that truth very tightly. Uh, sixthly, we must, with great intentionality and diligence, seek people. Out loving the world in our post-Christian culture, we are seeking out immigrants and welcoming them in our community in Calgary in a way that is such a blessing to our church. We seek people right now in a way that we never have before. And churches sometimes come up with all kinds of programs and plans 
for how they're going to do ministry, and they end up in doing all those programs and plans not actually seeking people for Jesus. And we need to be really diligent about seeking people for Christ. And so I hope you do. Make, make that one of those top priorities where you just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to every day in our church think about what it means for me to pursue people. What does it mean for you to build relationships with those around you? And so often we, again, we come up with all kinds of programs and don't really pursue people. And all the while, God is simply saying, just pursue people. Pursue people in my name. Love them. Treat them well. Pursue them. And then number seven, we must become participants in and servants of our communities. We need to share life with our communities, living the good news of the kingdom among them. And that's going to look drastically different to all the different places that we live um, but we have a chance to do this, I think, today in our world in a way that perhaps we haven't before. And I'm talking about in non-Bible Belt kind of places where we can enter in. They don't have a problem with our ethos. They don't have some perception of who we are already. They're not going to have a negative perception that disallows them from uh, in some way accepting who we are. And so if we go in with the love of Christ into our communities and live out well among them, we have a chance to actually do something. Um, right now in our congregation on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have Muslims in our building all day long. Um, it's not uncommon for me to, to be in our building and to see Muslims in our church library with their prayer mat on the floor praying. And the reason we do that is because we want those people to understand that we embrace them, that we love them. And so we, for free, allow a, a community group to come in two days a week all day long and use our building for the sake of teaching immigrant women how to live in Canadian society. Well, I think that's simply a, a reaching out into our community, which I think is a blessing. This gentleman heads up now, friends speak, and let's start talking. Because we live in such an immigrant part of uh, our world in Calgary, uh, and the church building is right in the middle of the immigrant section of town, we do a friends speak program. And God's blessing that, bringing people to us from other cultures, and we have a chance to meet them and talk with them. Now, I want to say just a few words here, and I'll wrap this up with some words about missional attitude and, and about Missio Dei. The, the word Missio Dei, the expression Missio Dei, simply means the mission of God. And in Calgary, we have, uh, we have kind of said among our leadership that we do want to be a missional church. You, you mentioned that word a little while ago, the notion of being missional. And we really do want to be missional. Um, and missional is, in one sense, kind of a confusing concept for a lot of people. So I thought I'd unpack this a little bit. Um, and some things I want to say about being missional. First of all, we must move beyond just full-time ministers having and teaching a missional attitude to discipling, and that's crucial here, a missional attitude and lifestyle within the life of the average church member. So if you're here and you're just an average church member, you're not a full-time worker or something or an elder or whatever, I, I hope that you ask questions about what it means for you yourself to be missional. Because this is a, a, an important word and an important idea, and I think the churches outside the Bible Belt, if we're going to have the kind of impact in our world that we want to have, need to be missional. Now here are some things that missional is not. It doesn't mean missions. We're not talking here about foreign missions people sent overseas. You can be missional and go overseas, but the idea of being missional in your own community is not the same thing as foreign missions. It's also not evangelism, not specifically. Missional means living with people it doesn't, and, and living out life among them. It doesn't mean that you're constantly trying to evangelize them. Now, hopefully, of course, that's what happens. But that's not our direct approach. We're not trying to just go into a community and just say, I'm here to evangelize you. 
Uh, it's not social justice. And a lot of times today it comes across that way. A lot of people are very much into social justice, not so much in sharing the gospel directly with someone else. Uh, missional is not really just social justice, but it sometimes can include it. Um, it's not community outreach programs. It's not just forming programs where we're going to go into community with a program and then use our program <coughs> on that. Neither is it attractional ministry. And it's not the church asking about what we can do or initiate because instead we're going to have God initiate some things and not ourselves. So what is it? What is being missional? Well, it's an attitude and a lifestyle engagement in the life of your community. Relationally conveying the light and hope of Christ and his kingdom by living in and with your community where you live life among them with kingdom intentionality, compassion, love, service, and the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are taking a picture of the slide. Great. If you don't have a camera, you don't want to take a picture of the slide, I'd be happy to send uh, that to you. Uh, in fact, let me... I'll put my email address over here. take the screen up here right at the end, okay? And, you, and we'll get that. But this is an attitude and a lifestyle of engagement, where we go in and live life among the people in our community more than anything else. And again, we frame programs all the time designed to evangelize people for Jesus. And I think sometimes we formulate those programs in order to somehow make an excuse or uh, compensate for the fact that we're not actually doing this. When this is really what we need to be doing, outside, certainly outside the Bible, in order to reach people for Jesus. The second thing that needs to be said about that is this. This is a focusing on what God is doing around us, asking him to incorporate us into his activity, and then entering into what he shows us with a single-minded God dependency and openness to the activity of the Holy Spirit. And I, those words were chosen pretty carefully. Uh, it is a focus. It's focusing on what God is doing rather than what we're doing. It is entering into what he shows us. And then with a single-minded God dependency and openness to the activity of the Holy Spirit being active ourselves. We've talked so much about the Holy Spirit this week, and it's, it's just so crucial to, to make this a, a central feature of what it means, not just for our ministries, but for what it means for us to be Christian. Like, to be Christian and to live this way is what God intends. And when churches outside the Bible Belt live this way, God is going to use us powerfully. And then, next, it requires leaders in our churches not just understanding what it means to be missional, but being willing to disciple into those whom they are equipping, as in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, a missional perspective and a missionally active lifestyle of kingdom living. In other words, we need to disciple missionality in all of those others in our churches. And a lot of times we haven't done that. We as church leaders, if that's what you are, we have a responsibility. We are called by God to equip the saints for the building up of the body of Christ and to all lead on to, uh, move on to maturity in Jesus. And the notion of living missionally in our world is something we need to disciple among those who are in our churches. And sometimes we haven't done that near as well as we need to, but it needs to be done. So, it's after 10 o'clock. Um, as I said, if you need to write to me and say, can you send me the slides, I'd be glad to do so if you didn't get a picture of those or anything. I think God, and this is the last thing that needs to be said tonight, 
outside the Bible Belt right now, if you're like me, sometimes you probably get discouraged. And sometimes I do. You know, the churches in Oregon are not near as big or as, as many as they were when I was a kid. Uh, and the same thing is true of Washington. The same thing is true of all the churches of Christ on the West Coast. Uh, when I was doing ministry in Long Beach in the mid-80s, there were churches of 300 or 400 all up and down the West Coast. You go to Seattle and you'd find two or three. You go to Portland, you'd find two or three. Churches of 300, 400 all over the place. Those churches are no more. Uh, Kirk Bruce is sitting back here. Kirk and I were talking just yesterday or the day before just about the fact that in British Columbia, when he and I first started doing ministry 30 years ago in B.C., uh, there were, and I know this, by Bible Belt standards, this doesn't, it doesn't sound like anything, but there were 23 or 24 churches of Christ in British Columbia with just about as many preachers. I don't know how many there are now. 11? 7? Um, like things have drastically gone downhill in Western Canada in terms of the presence of Church of Christ, uh, churches of Christ in the last 30 years. It is not encouraging at all. But nonetheless, even though that's the case, if we were to do the kind of things that I just described here, we could turn all of that around. And not just uh, over 100 years. It could be turned around actually relatively quickly if people would take seriously the notion of living missionally, discipling others for Jesus, going into our communities and loving each other the way that we really should. And if we don't do that, there's some sense in which we are going to continue to be in trouble. Like, I don't know about you, but I, it doesn't excite me at all to think that I spent 35 or 36 or 37 or 40 years in ministry only to find that the churches of Christ that I worked with in Western Canada or all up and down the West Coast weren't doing very well at the end. And that we didn't really accomplish very much. God doesn't want that. He wants us to do way better than that. And I would say it's a possibility. We've been listening all week long. To, to story after story about the Holy Spirit doing things within churches and within people and within ministries. Why should we not think that that can happen outside the Bible Belt? Is God not big enough to do that? And of course he is. But we need to be ready to answer his call and to do the, do the kind of things outside the Bible Belt that God is calling us to do in order for him to bless us and to bless our churches. I think that's absolutely possible. Scott uh, you know, said to me within the last couple of days, I'm actually hopeful, actually am positive about the future of all of this. And I am too, because I believe that we will respond to God, we will do these kinds of things, and God will bless us in the process uh, of listening to him and doing that.